Ho, ho. Hello, and welcome to the Chatting Tonight holiday episode. Our sleigh is filled to the brim with a little bit of wholesomeness and a lot of snark and bitching. Because, hey, at this point, Santa has already made his list. It's too late now, you fat bastard. And this is my little gift to you, because I just know that some of you have to be sick of the holiday season, too. I mean, it starts in frigging August. I, I can't celebrate Christmas for four months. I don't have that kind of joy reserve. I literally can't play these reindeer games. Now, not everything about Christmas is awful. Just most of it. So spike your eggnog and let's get to it. And no, I am not a Scrooge, okay? I'm not. You know what, truth be told, I barely remember this Dickens story, so maybe I'm a little bit like Scrooge. Was Scrooge a pragmatist? Because, you see, I always thought that he might have been a little misunderstood. And it turns out that there is a number of people who agree with me. And a plethora of articles and headlines. Like, from Forbes, in defense of the misunderstood Scrooge. Or Seeking Alpha, whatever that is. Ebenezer Scrooge is seriously misunderstood. The Chicago Business Journal in defense of the misunderstood Scrooge. Wall Street Journal, in defense of Scrooge. Even the Dickens Society, in defense of Scrooge, a brief history. And money.com, how Ebenezer Scrooge got rebranded a capitalist hero. There was also a number of shockingly similar headlines. So if any of these publications needs a good copywriter, I am certified. Of course, these are all basically business rags, but as you know, I've got a head for business and a body for Cheetos. And speaking of humbugs, do you know the meaning behind it? Because I didn't, so I thought, I'm gonna find out if this is a real word or not. And guess what? It actually does mean something. So I guess the phrase is often misunderstood, like Scrooge. When Scrooge decries Christmas as a humbug, it's often taken as a general exclamation of displeasure and bitterness. Listen, I always thought it was akin to grumble, grumble. But Scrooge didn't just hate Christmas at the start of the tale. He deemed it to be a complete fraud. According to History Extra, and I've provided the link... Plus, I've included some bonus links for you to check out since it's a bonus episode. And I am not only trite, but generous. 
So though oh, it's associated forevermore with anti-Christmas cheer, the word humbug was in common parlance long before Dickens wrote his festive novella in 1843. And it was meant as a hoax or deceit. In fact, it was described in 1751 as a word very much in vogue with the people of taste and fashion. Now, in 1846, renowned American surgeon John Collins Warren performed the first operation using ether as anesthesia. He was observed by a stunned audience of medical professionals and students. After the successful surgery, Dr. Warren announced to his skeptical spectators, gentlemen, this is no humbug. And I can tell you all, that I will be humbugging all kinds of things now. I wasn't always this way. I used to love the holiday season. One of my fondest memories from childhood was going to Santa Land and seeing Santa at the North Pole, the talking tree, and then finally going into Santa's workshop. If you're not a Midwestern girl, let me give you some background on Santa Land. So it was sort of like the thing to do to go downtown and see the Christmas displays and Santa Land was the pinnacle of this. So as soon as you walked into the store, this big wall of warm air like hits you and practically pulls you inside. But nothing mattered to you except getting to the sixth floor. And as soon as the elevator doors opened, you were in the North Pole. And kids were standing in line to sit on the lap of the best Santa in town. The real Santa. Or you ran over to talk to the talking tree, which was this big wooden and plastic tree that was almost scary in retrospect. It had these big eyes and eyebrows and a big tongue hanging out of this slightly downturned mouth. And the tongue was actually someone's arm, okay? You would ask it questions and it would answer you or you could stick your hand in its mouth and it would tell you what you tasted like strawberries but the best part was santa's workshop you went into a little building with this kid-sized door with an envelope with money inside of a pin to your jacket to buy presents by yourself like a grown-up and there were these adult helpers that guided you through this little store that was filled with scented soaps and costume jewelry or tie clips or ashtrays and then they wrap them for you so that you could just put them under the tree. And I remember buying my mom a Roadrunner brooch once, not the cartoon bird, the bejeweled bird. I think she still has it. And no store took more pride in trying to make an indisputably authentic North Pole. But nothing lasts forever. In fact, the last Santa to appear at this particular store was in 1994. The same year Nancy Kerrigan was attacked by Tanya Harding. Coincidence? You decide. All right, all right. So maybe it's a little unfair to blame that on Tanya Harding, but 
God, wouldn't life be so much simpler if you could just blame everything that happened in 1994 and beyond on her? Is that, is that too much? It's a little, okay. I do blame a lot of it, and by a lot, I mean a lot of why the holiday season is so shitty. I blame a lot of it on what I can only presume is an exploitation of cyclical shopping. You know how, like, Christmas starts basically in August now when people are already spending so much money on back-to-school shit? It's just a theory, guys. I don't know. I also blame it on that damn Black Friday. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the origins of Black Friday are actually a little dark. The phrase was first coined in 1869 when these two investors by the name of Gould and Fisk attempted to corner the gold market. Now, they bought up as much gold as they could to try and drive up the cost. But then President Grant intervened and the stock market dropped. 20%. Foreign trade stopped. Corn and wheat values dropped. And thousands of Americans went into bankruptcy. Now, much later in Philadelphia, and this is according to Business Insider, during the late 1950s and early 60s, locals resurrected the term to refer to the day between Thanksgiving and the Army-Navy football game. The event would summon massive crowds of tourists and shoppers, putting a lot of strain on local law enforcement to keep everything in line. It wouldn't be until the late 1980s that the term became synonymous with shopping. Retailers reinvented the Black Friday name to reflect the backstory of how accountants used different colored ink, red for negative earnings and black for positive, to denote a company's profitability. Black Friday became the day when stores finally turned a profit. The name stuck, and since then, Black Friday has evolved into a season-long event that spawned more shopping holidays, like Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday, and Giving Tuesday, and Give Till It Hurts Wednesday, and Spend Your Paycheck Before You Get It Thursday. Is it weird that I sort of want to open a brokerage house or a VC? You know, <laughs> now that I say that a lot, I realize I don't, those could be the exact same thing. And I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and name it Golden Fisk. Is that, is that wrong? Or we could do a clothing line. Like a men's clothing on, like maybe just like, uh, I don't know, ties and socks. We could do that. Speaking of clothes, I, I just cannot bear the ugly sweater scene any longer. I mean, can we all make a pact and we grab it and we throw it in the trunk and drive to the woods and we kill it and we chop it up and we bury it and then we never speak of it again i would love that because i can't with that motif any longer the cookies and the wine bags and the decorations and the fucking sweaters themselves remember when those assholes were wearing them with the one boob out, like, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Rain Tit or whatever the fuck it was, I don't know. I mean, 
What the fuck is with that? Okay, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret that you already know. Those women are attention whores. Those are the girls that insist upon dressing slutty on Halloween every year. They take two hours to get ready and they will, I don't know, go shopping and hide the bags and the receipts and then lie to your face about when they bought the shit. And you can bet me on that. Although I will say this, if you invite me to your ugly sweater party, I would definitely RSVP, maybe. I can promise you that. <sighs> and what is with the gnome thing? I, I can barely drag myself to a fucking store and I'm so sick of seeing fucking gnomes and you know the ones I'm talking about. I specifically mean the ones with the really long stocking cap covering their eyes and all you see is like the nose and the beard and that's it. Okay, maybe I'm just a gnome purist, but I like my gnome to have a face and I want it to be surly, like it might fight you, male or female gnome. Although I'm gonna be honest, frankly, half the time I can barely be arsed to decorate because I don't want to put my everyday tchotchkes away to put out my Christmas decor to then put the take the Christmas decor down on December 26th because I'm so fucking sick of Christmas to then take my everyday tchotchkes back out. It's it's too much. You make the snowballs, I'll make the hot cocoa, and we'll be right back. The following presentation is brought to you by TV2, the proud makers of television's greatest hits. And now a word from our sponsors. And we are back. Now, we could talk about movies. We could talk about how... The Hallmark and Lifetime movies this time of year make you kind of want to, I don't know, stick an iced teaspoon in your ear and slowly go past your eardrum till you hear a pop and then gently swirl it around your brain. Or how Die Hard isn't a Christmas flick or just how awful love actually is. Or that frosty melting always used to make me cry even as an adult but hasn't that been done to death instead i thought we'd take a page out of esquire and look at the 20 shittiest christmas songs ever recorded a holiday countdown of hot garbage every year around this time people put aside petty differences to agree on one thing Christmas music is almost universally unbearable. Sure, there are many beloved classics, but for every Nat King Cole or Bing Crosby gym, there are dozens and dozens of fresh disasters arriving annually as the music industrial complex never stops its hateful assembly line of woe. While we can all quibble about what makes a Christmas song resonate, one thing a Christmas song can never be is cool. 
There is nothing cool about Christmas, and there never was. Paradoxically, the songs that have stood the test of time come from artists who were the epitome of musical cool in their day. Elvis's Blue Christmas or Wham's Last Christmas, for example. But it's only through the IRL Instagram lens that these have been grandfathered into the canon. Their hip edges sanded down to the point where the songs seem like they have always existed, independent of time and space. That's because Christmas is never about the present, or the presents for that matter, but about the past. It's not this week's holiday we're looking forward to. It's the ones that have gone by. We're hoping to feel the way we used to feel when we were younger and things were simpler. We're hoping to ignore the other 364 days of the year when we're consumed with a desire to be cool. And yet, the vast majority of Christmas songs are the furthest thing from a comfort blanket. Here, a countdown of the worst. Number 20, Pentatonics, That's Christmas to Me. It takes a lot of work to sing harmonies this tight, but when the result sounds like a frolicking band of cyborg carolers going door to door in the uncanny valley, it sort of defeats the purpose. This song by Pentatonix, an acapella group made up of gap mannequins that come to life when the mall closes at night, has almost 18 million views on YouTube, which, judging by their lofty standards, is a disastrous failure. But considering it's the only original tune on their second album full of Christmas songs, it gets the nod here. Number 19, John Denver, Please Daddy, Don't Get Drunk on Christmas. Nothing says holiday cheer like a child pleading with his emotionally abusive alcoholic father not to get shit-faced and pass out under the tree again. While that's certainly fertile and appropriate territory for a country song the rest of the year, the contrast between the subject matter and the jaunty holiday arrangement here is enough to drive you to the bottle. Number 18, Bon Jovi, Backdoor Santa. Like Springsteen, Santa Claus is coming to town. This is another in the long line of lunch pail rockers putting on the hard hat and punching the clock at the Christmas rock factory tradition. A cover of Clarence Carter's 1968 recording, it also fits squarely into the horny for Christmas canon. Aside from the truly dreadful riff that sounds like someone spilled eggnog on the Trans-Siberian Orchestra keyboard, it has very little to do thematically or lyrically with Christmas. Number 17, Christina Aguilera, Oh Holy Night. You know that one house on the block covered every inch from foundation to chimney in garish glowing lights with animatronic Santas and reindeers running up the roof and a nativity scene to boot? This is less subtle than that. Number 16, Maroon 5, Happy Christmas, War is Over. Despite what other lesser worst Christmas songs ever listicles might tell you. The John Lennon original is unassailable, but, and this may come as a shock to many of you, Adam Levine and company managed to derail Lennon's composition here with a plotting arrangement and a falsetto warble that drains the song of any rem remnants of soul or poignancy. Number 15, Duck the Halls. Santa looked a lot like daddy. We had a good run culturally speaking. Number 14, New Song, The Christmas Shoes. New Song isn't just this Christian rock band's name, it's also something they probably want to put on their to-do schedule. 
This one is another maudlin, manipulative tearjerker about a young boy who's watching his mother on her deathbed. He wants to buy his mom a new pair of shoes for when she meets Jesus tonight, and he just wants her to look her best. Ah, uh, actually, I think it's getting a little dusty in here. This one, this is the most loving thing I've heard. I take it all back. Joel Gray, oh, I'm sorry, number 13. Joel Gray, I'm going to put some glue around the Christmas tree so Santa will stick around all year. This is a song about a budding serial killer and torturer devising an elaborate saw-like trap for Santa Claus, who he plans to hold captive for the entire year. Creepy enough before you get to the fact that Gray was a grown man singing in the voice of a little boy by the time he recorded this one. Number 12, Iggy Pop, White Christmas. In theory, this is supposed to coast by on the irony of a guy like Iggy Pop singing a delightful Christmas classic. But it's such a half-baked slapdash arrangement with Pop seeming like he recorded his vocal from inside of a stocking that it instead comes across as macabre and not in a good way. Number 11, set it off. This Christmas, I'll burn it to the ground. This comes from one of those ubiquitous Pop Goes albums in which contemporary pop punk, emo, and metal bands are tasked with stunt covers. But surprisingly, the bulk of the album is pretty good. This one, on the other hand, is a cavalcade of raving carnival barker the theatrical horrorcore that somehow comes across as both a parody of the scene and the idea of Christmas itself. Number 10, Bruce Springsteen, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Since it was written back in the 30s, this classic has been recorded by everyone from Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra to Miley Cyrus. But it's this sweaty dad ripping a hole in the ass pocket of his Levi's groaner that's somehow become ubiquitous in recent years. Some artists have the ability to lose themselves in a cover, elevating the original to heretofore unheard heights, while others, like Springsteen, manage to make everything they do sound like the same hokey bar band shtick over and over again forever. Number nine, she and him, baby it's cold outside. In our current era of wokeness, this is, in all likelihood, the most problematic Christmas song ever. Nothing sets the Christmas mood quite so readily as a protracted date rape in action. And yet, somehow, we're still treated to a new recording of the song nearly every year. There are many to choose from, but you won't do much worse than She and Him, which inverts the gender dynamics for the sake of being playful, which, you know, completely undermines the point of inverting the gender dynamic. Tiny Tim, number eight, Santa Claus has got the AIDS. Okay, wait. Maybe the only less appropriate subject matter for a Christmas song than date rape is Santa Claus getting AIDS. That's the premise of this truly bizarre number from Tiny Tim. Recorded in 1980, the track from the 70s TV staple and ukulele weirdo wasn't released until almost a decade later, where it has haunted the dreams of everyone who's heard it since. Number seven, the killers, don't shoot me Santa, Never mind the subject matter, a murderous boy pleading with Santa to not shoot him. This 2007 song would be harrowing enough for the jerky time changes and psychopath level spoken word sections. 
Number six, Band-Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? Considering how Ethiopia has been a Christian nation for something like 1,500 years, and a majority of its population identified as such when this benefit song was written in 1984, I think it's safe to say they do, in fact, know. As much as it pains me to say anything critical of Phil Collins and Duran Duran, this track is an example of how nostalgia is dangerous. Number five, Justin Bieber, Mistletoe. Jingle Bells, a jaunty island vibe, and Bieber pledging to be under the mistletoe with his shorty. What could go wrong? Number four, Pussycat Dolls, Santa Baby. While it's hard to find much fault with the Eartha Kid original, if there's one thing this already thirsty song needed to push it over the edge, it was about 5,000% less subtlety, a few stripper poles, and Carmen Electra gyrating in thigh-high stockings to really sell the spirit of the holiday season. Number three, the Jackson 5. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Surprisingly, Santa Baby isn't the only entry in the veritable old horny for Santa canon. This is another that's been recorded many times over the years. But the idea of a five-year-old Michael Jackson singing this one only heightens the weirdness level. There's nothing that says Christmas quite like the thought of a voyeuristic child watching his father get cuckolded by a man who snuck into your house in the middle of the night. Number two, Lady Gaga, Christmas Tree. Hear me out. What if we jammed as many iconic Christmas melodies as possible into one bloodless slog of an undanceable dance track in which Lady Gaga alludes to her vagina as a delicious Christmas tree? Number one, Paul McCartney and Wings, Wonderful Christmas Time. This is the Beatles of terrible Christmas songs. It's a love song between a middle-aged man and the new Casio keyboard he got in his stocking. A song whose awesome black hole of musicality is almost powerful enough to suck the life out of everything McCartney did before. The further we get into this holiday episode, the more I'm actually starting to feel like Saint Nick. Not the jolly fat man, mind you, but the actual Saint Nick. The one that enjoyed a lively debate, but was more than happy to slap the crap out of a heretic. Not a real slap, guys. A medicinal slap. A rebuke. A slap back to their senses. Now, of course, that story could be a myth, but we all need myths sometimes to make ourselves happy. Santa, the idea of a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, that you're a Disney princess. Happy endings in general. True love. Whatever gets you through the night. Because if we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty of it, the reason why Christmas is the worst is the same reason why Saint Nick wanted to medicinally slap the crap out of someone. People. People ruin everything. I mean, first we've got the expectations of socializing, and then you have to decide on 
where you're going, what you're going to attend, what you're going to decline, and then what you'll wear. Fuck. Which brings us to my second point. Relatives. Enough said. Then there's the forced giving of gifts. I don't really know Don from HR, so I'm just thrilled to have to buy him a gift that's under $25. Thanks, Susan. Or the conspicuous giving, where you feel obligated to spend a bloody fortune to impress someone. And in order to give the gifts, you most often have to go shopping for them. And that means other people. What is it about the holiday season that turns nearly everyone into a fucking rageaholic? It, it's like every be-kind asshole is out shopping when you are. Like, the phrases that run screaming through my head are like, Rude! Move! Shut up! And the shut-ups are mostly directed at, like, small children. And you know those weird families or couples maybe were fighting at home, but then they decided to go out shopping? I don't know why. Like, maybe it's to defuse the situation. But there they are, and they're out in public, and they're being shitty to each other. And, and you can hear it. And it's weird and uncomfortable and maybe that's why they do it you know to inflict their misery on everyone else and don't think you're off the hook or me even I'm talking about the collective us maybe we eat too much or we drink too much or we spend too much or not enough and we fall for all this pressure and we make ourselves feel less than we feel guilt. And maybe when we do feel that, we could just take a moment and think about this. A man showed the words chocolate cake to a group of Americans and recorded their word associations. And guilt was the top response. And if that strikes you as completely unexceptional think about this the response from French eaters to that very same prompt was celebration celebration guys Sign your ex on the Okay, I feel the need to interject and let you know that, you know, I do try and edit this shit, but I, I'm leaving my dog snoring in the background of that last segment because it's too fucking good. <laughs> Please know that that is seriously anyone in my presence <laughs> man woman child animal snoring <laughs> no christmas special would be complete without a heartwarming story for all the kids 
and is a special holiday treat for its readers in these times as Kurt Vonnegut back in 2004 for his thoughts on the Christmas season. Here's what he wrote. I met a man in Nigeria years ago, an Ibu, who said he had 300 relatives he knew by name. His wife had just had a baby. They were going to take it on foot to be welcomed and marveled at by as many of those relatives as they could find, even though there was a war going on. Wouldn't you love to have been such a famous baby? I wish I could wave a magic wand this Christmas and give every desperately lonesome and hungry and lost American man, woman, or child the love and comfort and support of an extended family. Just two people and a babe in the manger given a heartless government is no survival scheme. And that's what I wish for you. Love and comfort and support. Take care of yourself this holiday season. Take a breath. Relax for a minute and remember, it will all be over soon. And then those bastards will come around to remind us of it right after New Year's. Thanks to all of the fantastic background singers and thanks to all of you for listening. Happy holidays to everyone from all of us, me, at Chatting Tonight. And to all, a good night. Why don't you come with me to the family bathroom, sit on my lap, and I'll give you the sleigh ride you'll never forget. What? Santa? North Pole. Play it for life. Get out of here! Pervert Santa! No cookies for you here, you white-bearded freak!